And then at a certain point, people are like, uh, I don't know what box to put you in anymore. I don't really know what you are. Are you are this? Are you are that? And you can't possibly be good at all these things. <laughs> Hey, Ham. Hey, Sheree. How's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm excited. We've just been really inspired and excited to have guests be a part of the conversation, share their journeys and their real moments with you. But we also heard from you that you've missed <laughs> the sort of dialogue that like Han and I have together. So we wanted to really take it back to some of that today and also in future episodes and really have that opportunity to be this phone call between two friends that like you guys get to listen to. And for those of you who are new to the show, that's how it all started. Sheree and I are just friends that would call each other. We talk about our stuff. And one day we were like, you know, we should make a podcast out of this. And also when we were looking at all the stuff out there, like part of what we do on this show, you know, is we like to do it differently. And we'd love to hear what you think of this show. We love your feedback. Please share it in the comments. Send us a note. You know where to find us on Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, let's just get into it. Since we're getting into it, Hannah, tell me the moment. It just got real. So some months ago, I was doing a little bit of reflection on my career and I was just like, wow, how did I get so far away from the thing that I love, mm. which is design? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it actually makes me think of this thing you told me, oh, gosh, a while ago, Sheree, which is, I think you were having a conversation with one of your investors, maybe, that was said, it takes like roughly three years to fully reacclimatize to selling or, or 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 giving up your company. Does this ring a bell? Yeah, Anna Palmer, one of the GPs at Flybridge, for those who are just tuning in, that's where I work. It's a venture capital fund in New York, invested in my company, now I work there. But Anna said that to me when I was interviewing for the Flybridge job. She was like, it's going to take you two to three years to like find yourself again, to know what's going on with you post being a founder. Right. And I mean, it took me like the full three years, let's be real, because I sold my company at the end of 2020. And I feel like the back half of 2023 was like, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> I left something on the plane. Can you please let me back on? I need to go get it. Oh, no, ma'am. <laughs> We're we're gonna have to ship that to you, and it, it got lost a lot of right. it got lost at a lot of destinations along the way. And I'm right. just like, it's so interesting when people give you this advice up front, like it's gonna take you two to three years, and you're like, man, I'm gonna move through it faster than that. And like, no, no, it just you absolutely don't. And I actually posted about this in an amazing community that I'm a part of, the OGC, the Old Girls Club. For those of you who don't know this mm. community, highly recommend. Mallory Contour runs it, and it's just this incredible Slack network. Of of like, you know, I hate to use the word badass, but they are, they're like women that are more experienced. And I was like, Hey, uh, any founders in the, you know, founders channel that like have gone through an acquisition, uh, that, that want to talk about it with me. Cause I feel like this isn't like something we talk about as much. And I checked back two days later and I should probably check back again just to see if there's more comments since, but like, there was really nothing. Wow. And I, that's when I realized like, not only culturally, do we not talk about this? Because nobody wants to talk about the like 
what happens after you sell because mm -hmm. selling is the big moment. Mm -hmm. But also there's so few women that get to that point yep. that the sample size is like How tiny. Small. How small. small? Like I was thinking about it, like, okay, who else do I know that's a woman that has sold their company that I could talk to about how I'm feeling? And I was like, uh, I can think of one person. Wow. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure men go through this too, but maybe they have more of each other to talk to about it. And maybe it's also a little bit different for women. It's going to be different for everyone. But yeah. kind of getting back yeah. to my real moment here, I think that in reflection, it is really hard to figure out how you slot back into a career, if that makes sense, after mm -hmm. being a founder. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is at least for me, not to speak for everyone, is that being a founder requires, or being a startup founder, I should say, requires a ton of super general skills, right? You need to be a great pitcher. You need to be a great product person. You need to be good at hiring. You need to be the face of the company. You need to be able to do your finances. You need to have a good eye for design and run your Instagram account when no one else wants to do it at Sunday morning. You know, you got to do all these things. Yep. And so you kind of come out of that experience and you're like, a bit of a jack of all trades. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. you're like, okay, wait, what, do I'm, what am I actually good at? Like, what is my thing? And also I think other people look at you and they're like, what box do you slot into? No, I remember telling Eric Blatchford, what job am I applying to? Like yeah. that was the, I was literally was like, what do I type in the search? Like, I do not know. Yeah, what am I now? What so am that I now? definitely resonates. That definitely resonates. And I think in particular for women, and this is where I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit, I think in particular for women, the world wants us to fit into a box. And mm -hmm. they are uncomfortable with the idea that we fit into multiple boxes. Mm -hmm. So quick example. Mm -hmm. I can think of many, but like easily on like five fingers right now, men who either have started companies or been like founding, you know, key members of companies that are like incredible product people, decent or like really good engineers, and also great designers with excellent business acumen that can also do marketing. And when I hear investors talk about these men, they're like, he's a wunderkind. He can do it all. That's why a plus he's founder. <laughs> that's why he's a great CEO. He can do all of these things. With women, they're like, mm, but you're a designer. So does that mean that you can do numbers? Oh, girl. Or like, but you're kind of a product background person. So do you, do you really understand this artificial intelligence stuff? Can we get your technical co-founder in the room? Because that's my experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same for if you're good at storytelling and marketing. Like... Then that you must not be good still, at math, right? A hundred percent, no. A hundred. <laughs> we know you're good at the storytelling. A hundred. Like, yeah, are you sure you've like got if this? You're really good down? at operations. You know, you're great at hiring, but like, do you really know how to market your company? It's like, can you really sell and fundraise? Right, and then, and then, <laughs> what happens? Is the perfectionist in me, or the recovering perfectionist in me? I should say will go off. And I, I'm sure that I'm not the only person out there, not the only woman out there will go off and get really good at all of these things. Like I was told, Hey, Hannah, because my background is in design, you'd be a much better designer if you also knew how to code. Okay. I'll go learn how to code. Great. 
hey, Hannah, you'd be a much better designer if you also acquired some more professional polish. That was a piece of feedback I got once. So you know what? I became more professional in the room. Like you do all of these things and you listen to this feedback and you skill up and skill up and skill up. And then at a certain point, people are like, uh, I don't know what box to put you in anymore. I don't really know what you are. Are you are this? Are you are that? And you can't possibly be good at all these things. Mm-hmm, 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. And so then I think part of my like uh, mourning, because truly, you know, whether you give up your company, whether you sell your company, whatever process you merge, whatever process it is, it's a thing that you built that you're moving on from. And there is a cycle of grief around that. There's just no question. 100%. You got to move through it somehow and everyone's going to move through it differently. I think in my process of like this, I was like, wait, what am I actually good at anymore? Because I started Mm -hmm. to doubt myself. I'm like, can I still be a designer? I don't know. I've been doing this design founder Mm. thing for like the last two years. So or three years. So like, you know, would someone actually hire me for a, de- a straight up design job now? Well, I don't know. And I would start doubting myself, like, maybe I can't do this anymore. Maybe I need to be doing a more business focused role. Maybe I need to be doing like a this. And mm. I am sure I'm not the only one out there. I mean, does this resonate with you? You went through this too. It's, I mean, I still don't know. Like my job now is <laughs> kind of also still very jack of all trades, but I, I really till now don't know what like if I were to apply for like a a more defined skills-based job, I do not know which one it would be. Like I on today, I don't know. What was I doing before? I was working in agriculture. Can I still go to like an agricultural organization and like lead a thing there? I don't, maybe, probably. <laughs> would they hire me? What do I say to get the job? Like, I don't know. Like I really don't. No. And I think it's such a valid experience. And it also doesn't feel like anyone teaches you how to work through it. There's just kind of this, at least to me, it seems like there's this assumption because it was kind of the advice that, gave, that was given to me. It was like, well, you're not going to really like go on a job board and apply to a job anymore, especially if you're a venture back founder. I want to qualify like what we're talking about here, because I do think it's different depending on what perspective you're coming at the term founder from, but mm-hmm. particularly for any of us that have gone through some round of venture funding and the network building required to even do that. I think the assumption is you just kind of start falling into founder stuff yeah. versus like coming back to maybe some core skill set or passion that you had before you took on this identity. Exactly. And so then my question is, but what if you want to? So I had plenty of people along the way say to me, Hannah, why don't you start another company? They're like, oh, you did this. You can clearly do it again. Why don't you do that? And that was something I really had to sit with too. Like, why not? Like, do I want to start another company? And I didn't for a number of reasons, for a number like of lots of like personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Also, it's you know, it's super hard and stressful, but the the biggest one was, is you have to have the right idea period. And you have to have an idea that you want to work on for the next 10 years and give up literally everything for. And right now 
I don't have that. I have lots of ideas every single day that I think are interesting, but none that I'm like, mm, would I want to work on that for the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. Like that lightning doesn't mm -hmm. just strike every day. So like when no. it does, yes, maybe I will start another company. But like right now, that's not what I want to be doing. Right now, I yeah. actually want to be working in a more established company. I want to be working with a team, all these things. And so there's a pretty good chance that coming out of your founder journey, for those of you out there who have done it, you might actually just want to interview for a job. And like, how do you, how do you do that when people are looking at you like, oh, you're this other thing now you fit in too many boxes, which I got so much feedback around. Hmm. Um, and I think the other thing too, that was really interesting for me being a designer and then becoming a design founder and then going back to design, which is where I am now is I also had to do this bizarre, like almost rinsing of my design background when I was pitching my company. So mm. I got feedback that I looked too designy or that like maybe I wasn't, you know, producty enough or maybe not technical enough because of all of the reasons I listed previously. So I went to like great lengths to sort of like redo my story, you know, like yeah, I'm a designer, but I'd play up the part that I was like building computers with my dad when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And like, I got my start working on an, a Mac plus and was like obsessed yeah. with how that thing worked, which is also true. But again, but you were indexing for those things in service was, of exactly, like, who like, you needed to be for these people. Put me in yeah. this box, not in that box in your yeah. brain. Put me in the like, she understands how technology works box because I was building an AI company. Because, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. like, wait, you're the founder of an AI company and you have a design background? How does that work? It's like, it's called innovation, yeah. but never mind. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, and so I did all this like personal rebranding, literally, like as dumb as that sounds, my LinkedIn and like my website and just how I showed up to things too. Like, I mean, I used to, you know me, I used to like dress in all sorts of like pattern clashy, like leopard print on leopard print, yeah. you know, donut leggings under cut off jean shorts with high top sneakers. That doesn't work so well in a Silicon Valley boardroom. You're not going to work it, walk into Sand Hill Row wearing that get up if you're no. running a tech company. No. Um, I learned very quickly that there's one outfit that really works. And that's like a nice black top, preferably a turtleneck, a pair of jeans and some expensive looking sneakers. The Steve Jobs I mean, uniform. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna challenge that a little bit because I, it, okay, a couple please. things, a couple things I'm hearing you say, right? So you're like, it feels like some level of you took this on as truth because mm. even in your reflection of your founder journey, you're still calling yourself a design founder instead of a founder. Mm, yeah, that's like true. why did you adopt that, and why did you feel like you didn't have space to push back? I mean, even for myself. I certainly didn't look like, and even till today, like I don't look like a typical person working in VC. I don't dress like it. Like maybe sometimes my tops are a little low. Like I, <laughs> but I push back a lot in terms yeah, of like whether it's subtle. I refuse. Like I mm -hmm. literally refuse to be someone else. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it bites me in the ass. Like I really wanted to be an investor now. And I got told that like I wasn't. I didn't know enough about AI, but nobody even asked me what I knew or what I wanted to do in it. And it really pissed me the fuck off, to be honest. Mm, that's a good little real moment right there. <laughs> but but I, I, one, I want you to answer the question. I do want to mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. why you felt like you needed to listen to that. 
Yeah, no, you are you are so right. And like I let myself be pulled into it a bit too much. Like I should I wish I could have pushed back more. And mm-hmm. I've always admired that about you. You're amazing at it. And I think in that moment of like being a founder, I was like, no, I really want to make this thing work and I'm going to do anything that it takes to make it work. And if that means dressing differently, if that means, you know, being less whatever, like that means looking like a certain part, like, fuck Mm. it, I'll do it because this is what I want. And it's not like, not in like a losing my integrity way, but in like a, okay, if this is what I need to do to to play the long game, then like, that's what I'll need to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's like, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, because in, in yeah. they both bite you in the ass. Like you just said, you know, like occasionally it's bitten me in the ass. People don't like the way I show up. Okay. Well, you know, that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but what I did, you know, it also bites you in the ass because at a certain point I'm like looking at my closet and my LinkedIn, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? Like, this doesn't feel like Who am I? anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Exactly. Question for you. Yes. How do you determine when to like lean into that, like mm. that, like play the long game. So make these decisions that maybe don't feel a hundred percent like me authentically. Mm-hmm. And, or when do you like put your foot down and be like, nah, like this I'm standing on. How do you make those differentiations in your Oof, That journey? is a great question. I don't know if it's as clear cut as that. Mm, okay. I think it actually requires your own self-reflection and other people to keep you honest. Because mm-hmm, if you're going to like play that long game, be like, okay, you know, here's a thing. I'm just going to like suck it up and do it because this is what I need to do to like get the thing. We all have to do that sometimes. Right. And I'm sure like. It's called work. <laughs> yeah. That's called work. That's called being an adult. <laughs> um, but there is this moment, I think later on where you're like, wait, am I still am I still being true to myself inside, which is like the most important thing? Do I still know who I am? Do I still have my center of gravity inside? And like, if the answer to that is like, Ooh, I don't know anymore. Maybe I lost it somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. I think that's when you need to do a reality check and ask the people around you who are like your life mirrors. Like, Hey, Mm. Ooh, I love that life mirrors here. (laughs) I feel like that has to flash across the screen. Like, yeah. that's good. Because that's good. as long as you're true to yourself and you're true to your own integrity, I mean, that's what, that's what allows people to trust you. That's what makes you like a person that is, mm-hmm. you know, like otherwise you're, you're kind of lying to yourself and nobody wants to be there. Yeah. But I do think it's perfectly acceptable to like, to the extent that you are comfortable with it. And we all have our own, limits of what comfortability is to do what you need to do to get what you want. Period. And to and interrogate, which I think my process, especially now, has been to like interrogate what I believe defines me hmm. and then decide where to make the trade-offs. Yeah. Like, is this truly a defining thing or is it like an opinion I have or like a stand I have that like, yes, matters to me, but like, I don't need to like stake myself and claim on it in that way. And like, is there space between those things? Like, what do I have deep conviction that feels like values based Mm -hmm. and what is kind of like a stylistic thing 
that I'm like, yeah, who cares? It's like, I'm not going to lose my personal values. Oh, we're black channel. Like, whatever. They can be nice sometimes. I'm not hating on them. I got a closet full of them. It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Do I also like wearing streetwear? Yes, absolutely. Would I show up on the meeting wearing an oversized hoodie? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Kind of depends on the person. You know, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And also like, you know, I think in that space you're talking about, sometimes it's also just not that deep. Like I had this moment where I was just like, okay, Hannah, you miss design. Cool. Let's get back to that. Why do you miss it? And I was like, it's fun. It's just fun. To me, it's more fun than just writing or just being in spreadsheets or just and you know you think about how you spend your time in those little increments every single day and I was like I just like it more period we talk about a lot of hard things on the show and sometimes maybe life just doesn't need to be that hard like being a founder is really fucking difficult and (laughs) I was like wait why am I still doing all the hard things that you know, are maybe not as fun for me personally, or mm-hmm. just because I can do them doesn't mean I should be. Or that you have to. Or that I have to. And so then I, like, as soon as I kind of just had this, like, unlock, I was like, fuck it. Why not just go do what you're good at and what you love? And, like, I don't know, for you, you decide that's art, agriculture down the road. Like, yes, absolutely. I think you could like, you could like walk into that interview and, and mm-hmm. get that job. But I had to totally get past that mental block first of like, mm-hmm. hey, can I still do this after having done all these other things? And like, am I still this person? And so, yes, my little takeaway, because we love being practical on this show would just 100%. be like, if you have gone through something like this, whether it's selling or losing or, you know, giving up your company or, or really any kind of career pivot. I mean, it could be a layoff, like tons of people have gone through that recently, right? Like, you know, just get back to the thing that you love and you're good at as quickly as possible. Like sometimes it just doesn't need to be that hard. And I think sometimes we really over, um, or at least I have like over scrutinized, like what I should be doing and Mm. who was going to let me do it and could I st- like did I still have permission to play in this space or not or was it good like fuck all that all this analysis and overthinking and like yeah well I mean I guess the question is like so how did you do it so it sounds like you made a transition you made a decision I made a decision and then I made a transition and you know what the hardest part was the reflection and the coming to the moment of like oh, right And then as soon as I made the decision, actually the rest was, I don't want to say it was easy because obviously any kind of any, like, you know, creating any kind of change in your life requires work. But at that point it was like, cool, this is my to-do list. There's five things I got to do. This is a timeline I'm going to do them on and just like full on execution mode. And I find like that mode for me anyway, to be way easier. It's like the decision-making process is the part that is hard. But once I get to the decision, the execution is, that's just follow through. I mean, you speak about this lightly and this is just also just how you are. So for those listening, like I'm just over here like, okay, girl, because the execution game she's talking about is like being a designer at like the highest levels in the game. Like she's not, she's really not over here 
doing a side Adobe project, okay? Like, I am not even going to allow you to be speaking this way on the show. Like, no, ma'am. It, no, no way. I, don't, I mean, that's what I was doing before, right? Like, you know, and as soon as I kind of like made that little, like made that piece with myself, I was like, I can absolutely do this again. And like put, I can put my mind to it. I mean, sure. Are there, are there things that I might need to, you know, update myself on after having been doing a more general role for the last few years like sure absolutely there's going to be that but like Mm. that technical knowledge is is of all the things in life that you know that I think about are difficult to acquire that technical knowledge is always in my opinion it's the easiest it's like you just learn the thing learn the thing but I love that as a takeaway because I think a lot of us that might not seem so obvious like okay I have a a place I'm trying to go I've identified some Mm -hmm. gaps that I might have now that I've been like out of the game for a minute. Mm -hmm. I think it could be easy to see those gaps as the obstacle to doing it, especially if you're trying to like properly do it in like a for real space. Yeah, You know, not that there are spaces that are not for real, but maybe a better use of language would it be to say like in a space that's like the top, top of the game, you know, And, and, and that is where you're operating. I think it's important to say that. But Mm -hmm. also that like you didn't see those technical things as an obstacle. Like you leaned in and said, all right, like there's some extra shit I got to do. Let me do it. You know, I think I've always and maybe this kind of goes back to my like, okay, we were talking about being nerdy and into computers. But like maybe it kind of goes back to that and maybe just having I don't know, maybe it was like being born in the time that I was born in and in this life, like having seen, literally seen technology like happen around me as a child Mm -hmm. and you too. And like, we had to, it was just like, I remember, oh, this is a computer and this is the internet and here's how we're going to learn how to type. And now, now things aren't, you know, like it was, I've just always viewed all that stuff as like, oh, this is just a skill to acquire. Like, oh, coding that it's not like, hard per se it's just a language to learn you know go take a Mm -hmm. tutorial like and I've said this to to founders too who are like oh my background is this I'm scared about what you know like my background's x I'm scared about y like I don't know you know I've never had to do financials before I'm like take a LinkedIn tutorial I don't know go like watch some YouTube videos on how to use QuickBooks it's not that hard like it's a practical skill that like you can learn. I don't know. I think maybe it's just taking that approach of being a lifelong learner. And if you put your mind mm-hmm. to it, like how many books, how many videos do you really need to watch or or read to like pick up a technical skill? Not that many. What is way, way, way harder is like learning the theory, learning the fundamentals, learning the strategy, like that shit is hard. I'm not going to like gloss over that. And like, for me, in my case, like my degree is in design. So I have that under my belt. It's like, oh, have, you know, did the tools change slightly over the last 18 months? Sure. Figma added some new features. Okay. I will learn those, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's what I mean. It's like those, those practical technical skills are anybody can learn it. I've said this to lots of, lots of people that are like, I'm afraid to learn how to code, or I'm afraid to learn how to learn use a spreadsheet. Like I'm afraid to learn how to do rapid prototyping. Like it's not that hard. It's a really expansive way to exist. So it's not that hard. But the mindset <laughs> shift to think that it's not that hard is hard. 
Right. But you are going to get It's Not That Hard from Hannah. And me also, because we're just <laughs> kind of like that. So, I mean, I think I love, like, where you landed on this and that you were able to, like, get out of your head, get out of your stuff, you know, get out of the trough of guilt that comes with, like, leaving something you built behind mm-hmm. and move back into a spot where you're doing something that's, like, actually fun to you and that, like, you care about in a way that allows, like, some whimsy and fun into your life while still, like, being super skilled at it. And I'm I'm wondering if you had to reflect. We're going to do, like, a bit of a pullback here. Mm. Like, if you had to reflect on, all right, let's rewind the clock to the deepest part of that, like, existential, what am I going to do moment. Like, what would you do differently? Mm. I would have tried less at the things that didn't come as naturally. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of feedback over my career on like, you need to learn this. You need to learn that. You need to get better. And I, every single bit of it I took on, like, I am going to learn this thing. And I think this is a thing that happens to women constantly that we get told we should, oh, we would, you know, just get that promotion if we could like learn how to do this other thing and do this other thing. And then at a certain point, we're like over, almost like overskilled. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd just not listened to any of that bullshit, quite frankly. I wish I'd just continued to be true to myself and the things that I like to do the most and said, fuck it to the rest of it, honestly, because it kind of distracted me. And it goes the other way too. Like, uh, so one interview that I did um, in the last couple of years that did not go so well, um, the, the, the hiring manager, this designer, Uh, was like, oh, you know, we just think this role is too small for you. Like you've done so many things. Like we're just concerned that you wouldn't be satisfied and that like you wouldn't have enough, you know, breathing room. And like, you know, you've built two companies. Like, are you sure you want to be a design manager? We just didn't, the hiring committee didn't feel like you were right for this role because you've just done so much. We just think we're going to stifle you. And I took that feedback on in the, in the moment of like, oh man, maybe I can't do this. And it like really kind of like set me off course Mm. for a minute. And looking back on all of that now, I'm just like, that is some hot bullshit. Like, who are you to decide what I want? I mean, this is people though. I've definitely heard this feedback in so many jobs. Like, especially when I came off of like largely living in other countries and like my first job back in New York, I only lasted like three weeks. But their impression, but they hired me, but we're still every day worried about the job being too small for me. Yeah. It's like, oh, are you going to be happy? It's like, let me make that choice. As a grown ass person. And like, let me have some agency in this decision. I'm applying for this because I want to do this. Like, let me decide, you know, like, don't make that choice for me that it's going to be too small for me or too narrow or too something. And it's like, that is part of what you have to fight back against. I think going from a more general thing to a specific thing, which applies to anybody out there that's making that career transition right now, which I'm sure are many of you that like, people are going to tell you that you might not be happy because it's not big enough. And it's like, I just wish that instead of like taking that feedback so seriously and being like, Oh, maybe I should go back to the drawing board. I was like, if I macro out and I put it all in perspective and I think about like 
okay, when I was pitching trash, I pitched what, 160 investors to raise my first 2 million or something, or like 1.5 million. Like you pitch like 160 people and five come in. So like, look at those ratios, right? It's like people saying the, giving you this kind of feedback or like that, you know, the, the, on the flip side, the person that's like, oh, you could, if you just learned this skill, you'd be better. Like maybe, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not do that. You know, I think I would have been more clear about my path if I had just blocked out a bit more of that noise and all those people that told me to do all of those different things to like occupy, like, you know, be better in all of these different ways. Like that's just a distraction from the thing that I really like doing the most. Mm. And I actually don't think that men get this. I think the the learn more thing, I I know they don't. I know they don't. I'm pretty sure that no one tells them like, oh, we're not going to hire you for this job because we just think that you're maybe too good for it. I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's a woman thing. I think it's a minority thing. I think the whole like, just keep learning more before you take the leap is just like not a thing said to men. But yeah. is it, it is what it is and the, we're in the world we're in. So, you know. Yeah. You know, you sort of came to this moment after some serious self-reflection and you realized like these trade-offs you'd been making even before you were a founder, yeah. like just like in your career. I mean, you've been a founder twice, but like you've been making them. Are there any things that came to you in that self-reflection or any tools you used that you feel like, like almost like you would sample them? Like you would, you mm. would put them over a track in the future. Like you would use them as you're having, cause this is like life is ever growing, ever evolving. This will not be the first time you need to have this to like look at this moment. Maybe the circumstances are different, but is there anything that you feel like, oh, this will always be a part of my process when I confront something like this again? Yes. And it's actually just like a really simple one. And I totally can't take credit for it because it exists in like so many different formats. Um, just like super fast five minute Friday wrap up reflection. Like how did this week go? As I'm thinking about planning for next week, do I feel burnt out? Like, do I feel tired? What gave me energy? What took energy from me? Really, it's that question. You know, where did I feel like I had to like expend a lot of energy and where did I just feel like it was like easy? Um, I'm also very rigorous about like checking in with myself quarterly, half yearly, like I'll run an experiment and be like, I'm going to do this for six months. And if I don't feel like I'm getting what I'm looking for at the end of it, like, okay, it's time to pivot, you know? Right. And I think that's like a founder thing too. It's like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to spend this money on this campaign for the next four months. If it's still working like, <laughs> or whatever, whatever. Use them now. Yeah. Yeah. You have to like time box every single thing. And so um, just being really holding myself accountable on schedule because time can just slip away so mm -hmm. easily. And before you realize it, you're like, wait, I've been kind of miserable in this role for a year. Or like, I've been complaining about my, you know, whatever for more than a year. Like this can just happen. We've all been there. And I think the only way it doesn't happen is by holding mm -hmm. yourself accountable with time. I love that. And I love the idea of time box anything. It's definitely something I've gotten from you. I remember when I needed to stop drinking and you were like, you need to do it. And I was like, oh, I'll do it for a month. And you're like, no, you need to do it for 100 days. <laughs> and it, like, 
<laughs> it was so funny because all my other friends were like, yeah, 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 a month is great. And you were like, nope, if you don't do it for 100 days, like it literally doesn't mean anything. And I was like, well, I guess uh, I need to do something. But it has fundamentally changed my relationship with drinking. Like I drink again, but I drink so much differently. Mm. I'm not making like poor decisions. I'm, mm. I'm not having like big regrets while drinking. And so like, thank you for that one. But like, you're really good at that. And I think, you know, even in the conversation we were having before we started recording today, even like financial goals and things like you are really good about time boxing. Mm. Like, and thank it you. sounds so simple, but it's like no joke, but like hella effective. So I appreciate you sharing that as like the thing that you would do every time. Thank you. And, I, you know, to tie it back to another show that we did, I'm thinking of that one where I talked about like um, designing a portfolio. Oh, because it's like, it's like so intimidating, like making your own personal website. Like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to put on there? Worst thing ever. I mean, it is the worst thing ever. Like to me, like designing your own homepage, like your own website or whatever, that's like, that's like the equivalent of like cleaning out a closet that you have not looked after in the last five years. And there's just shit everywhere. It's just, it's just a horrible thing. Right. And you're going through all the emotions. So when I did that, I just time boxed it. I was like, screw this. I'm giving myself a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, by the end of the day on Sunday, this thing has to be done. And I'm shipping it in whatever state it's in. And I just, <laughs> gave you really did. super arbitrary, deadline. <laughs> but then it worked so well because the pain was over so fast. And I was like, wow, I'm going to do this every time. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I read this really interesting article about how the Jordan brand is like at its lowest point. Really? Why? Everybody loves Jordans. For the first time ever on like StockX, they're depreciating in value, even for the most classic Jordans. I lied to you now. You know, we just watched the Air, video, the Air movie the other uh, week. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It's great. It's like, it's about the invention of the Air Jordan. Yeah. And um, I heard that it's like really about the shoe. It's really about That's the what shoe. They talked about it in this article. Yeah, it's really about the shoe and, like, the designer behind the shoe. And, like, some things, and I think they kind of, like, stretched the truths to dramatize a little bit because it's a movie, uh-huh. as they do. But, like, it's still um, it's still a really incredible story. Like, I mean, and the the scene where the um, they're looking at it, uh, the, the guy that's, like, trying to do the deal with Jordan, like, trying to get it done yeah. for Nike because Nike's mm-hmm. in the tank at this moment, right? Yeah. Um, which like people really don't remember. Yeah, anymore. and like they didn't have any presence in basketball at all. It was like all None. it was all Converse. It was all Adidas. Everybody wanted yeah. to wear Adidas, like a Run DMC song, right? Yeah. Like nobody's saying like my Nikes. No, no, that was nobody those was saying not that. the lyrics, right? No, hundred um, <laughs> percent, no. Um, and that then, doesn't and sound then, good. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. Um, and then everyone was wearing Converse, and so yes, there's this scene where he's like he's looking at the shoe and the designer. That I love the character of the designer. He's like this super nerdy guy who's like i've studied basketball shoes my entire life and like this is my life's dream to create the perfect basketball shoe i don't know how true all of that is but whatever it was a great scene and they're you know burning the midnight oil like on the Mm -hmm. weekend like working late and he's like uh, the guy's trying to get the deal done he's like i don't think it has enough red on it he's like oh no we can't make it more red that's regulation because there were these regulations that nba players couldn't wear colorful shoes they had to have interesting yeah they had to be like some percentage of white um, oh, I do remember this. Yeah. And so and so he was going to get fined for wearing non-regulation shoes. And that was when he had the guy making the deal had the idea. He was like, what if we make that what this is all about and we pay the fine? Mm. And so 
Michael Jordan actually got fined for every single game he played because with his the red, shoes, black, and white colorway. Exactly. And so mm. Nike paid those fines so that he could wear them. And that was like, that was the thing. And I mean, obviously, what a he freaking and, marketing strategy. I know, right? I mean, also he and, and his, his mom were like a genius to be like, no, we want a revenue cut of these shoes as well. But to be fair, it was like the way they just talk about it in the movie is like he wanted something that he could, you know, he had skin in the game with. He was like, I'm not just going to yeah. like wear these. They're going to be like, if they're going to be mine and if like other people want to buy them because they're mine, they have to be mine. Like I have to own a piece of them. And Nike made that deal happen too. And like, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because at the end they're like doing the calculations for the next quarter and they're like, well, you know, maybe we'll pull in you know, like some millions of dollars. And of course it's like, astronomically more than that i mean it's like yeah. on an absolutely insane yeah. scale yeah so so why why are they depreciating now there are a couple things that happen so obviously we know pandemic people are um shopping online because that's kind of like the only excitement one is having you know at mm -hmm. some points right and so what ends up happening is the gen z kids really start you know getting into like vintage things like mm -hmm. to the point where for them it's even disconnected from jordan himself which i thought was like a really interesting point in the article of like mm -hmm. basically you had millennials so like our generation we actually like still remember you know gen mm -hmm. z um no sorry gen x and then millennials mm -hmm. like remembering jordan as a player in his greatness but then also remembering that like weird washington wizards era Mm -hmm. And like they didn't do the weird baseball thing. <laughs> and then he said like the weird things during his Hall of Fame speech. And now so we all watched the Netflix documentary and we we're like, you know what? You're like the most famous rich guy ever. So it's fine. This is literally what <laughs> happened. So like Jordans are like, hi, 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 80s and 90s. Then he does weird things in like the 2000s. So like mm -hmm. the interest in, in Jordan sneakers like plummets because we like know him. But mm -hmm. then what happens is during the pandemic, the movie comes out on Netflix Gen Z kids get reintroduced to Jordan. There's mm -hmm. this surge in popularity that runs in parallel with the surge in like all things vintage. So right. what ends up happening is vintage things were already making a comeback and people were like really getting into those and wearing them, not just obviously to play basketball, but like to the Oscars, people are mm -hmm. wearing Jordans. Like this is the thing. And then the Netflix series comes out and now like everybody's like hype about Jordan again, but then Nike sees this and decides to start pushing out all these new releases and colorways of the Jordan one and kind of floods the market. Huh. So this happens and over time, people just get kind of like tired of it. And those people were never really anchored, especially the Gen Z kids, like they're not even as anchored to Jordan. Yeah, this so it was like a moment for them to begin with. Yeah. Nike floods the market. They're no longer like rare because everybody has some Jordan ones. I have been noticing that they're like everywhere now. They're ubiquitous. Everybody yeah. has them. They're like literally, it's like, it's like, I mean, if this was a SaaS company, we'd talk about like commoditization. So like, mm -hmm. it's basically, they've become ubiquitous. So they're the rare Jordan one is like not so rare anymore. And yeah. So for the and actually time, like, if you really wear a real like Jordan one, an actual rare one that you probably shouldn't wear outside because it's worth like $30,000 yeah. or something. Yeah. Like they're so ubiquitous. I'm like, would people know? I mean, okay. It's obviously some people know. Sneakerheads would but know. But most people like, would not know. Most people would not know. 
And so now people are not trying to pay. Like, they used to be, like, 40%. Like, now it's, like, for the first time ever, I think it was on StockX, like, dipped at negative 2% depreciation for, Mm -hmm. the, the like, price the shoes could sell for. And then it's also seeping into, like, uh, auctions. So apparently there's this guy that was on the Bulls coaching staff when the Chicago Bulls won all these championships. Mm -hmm. And I guess the first time they won a championship – he was like, Jordan, give me the shoe. And so like he gave him one of his shoes. And so every year the Chicago Bulls won a championship, like one of he gave this guy one of the shoes. So now there's like six of them. I think that's how many they won. And Sotheby's is auctioning them. And this whole Jordan brand depreciation is actually affecting this Sotheby's auction of these six pair of shoes, like collector shoes, that like really should be like millions and millions of millions. But this like tank from what likely feels like Nike flooding the market, huh. like is even affecting true memorabilia, not just sneaker sales on StockX. Like it's it's a whole thing wow. that I think I is really interesting yeah. around brand, brand appreciation, brand value. What happens when brands get over scarcity? A hundred percent. Like just the psychology of holding tangible value in a brand and like, Jordan to me seems like something untoppable. So like the question now is like, is it going to stay that way or is this going to be like, or or yeah, will there be another similar. resurgence? Yeah. Will there be another one? Yeah. Huh. I, I just think it's interesting. And for people who are building brands, I think it's something it's, I think it's an interesting story to pay attention to both mm. for legacy brands, but also for people who are building brands. And what I see is like the popcorn era, like you got to make it hop on TikTok. But then like, what happens? What happens when everybody's TikToking it and then it's saturated? Mm-hmm. What do you do for that next virality moment or that next, mm-hmm. like, I think it's in, anyone who thinks about brand, like I'm a big brand person. I don't know how I got here, but I am. I think building Tastemakers is very much a brand led company. And like, I'm very into that. And I, and I just find this story like really fascinating. I love that you brought this record scratch moment. I'm I gotta I gotta read this article now. Look at us talking about sports on this podcast. This is a first for us. I'm proud of us for going there and talking about a topic that we probably feel less qualified to talk about than other topics. Yeah, dating basketball players doesn't mean you're qualified to talk about basketball. So you know. But it gave me a leg up. <laughs> That's That's a show. show. Hey, everyone. Let us know what you thought of this. We were just trying to take it home, do the phone call thing again, and break up the format a little bit. And please hit us up on Got Real Pod on all the socials. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you in the comments. And hey, if you like the show, give it a rating. Your ratings really help us get this to more folks. So we will see you on another Thursday. 